Good afternoon and welcome to Anchor. And you can talk about anything that you want. Once again, this is your podcast for your healing, viewing, sexual, talk dirty, masturbate, drink beer, um, smoke a blunt. Anything goes at this podcast. But we all have respect for each other. My dear folks, my name is Gypsy Moon. I'm the proud owner of this um, Speaking the Truth, uh, Truth and Justice. I have been a long supporter for <coughs> justice and peace. Once again, this is your confession cathedral middle of the street paradigm between spiritual world and reality world day or night this is the confession hour with gypsy moon you can talk about anything you want sex masturbation dildos, anything that has to do with women's power, anything that has to do with human life, and whether it has to do with fighting your own demons, spreading your gospel on a mic seems a lot better than raising your gun. Spread your love around to your neighbor. Spread your love around to the smaller things that make the biggest impact on someone else's life. And this is a way for Spotify, Anchor, Podbean. Can share your testimonies of your scriptures of your true soul. Check them out. It's a good way to release stress on a mic with no vibrating dildo. Robots here amongst us and digital humans exist. We've been told that artificial intelligence, machines, digital assistants, and robots can make our lives easier, more convenient, better. And technology has obliged. We can obtain our food, clothing, anything without even leaving our homes. We can accept that surgeons, or rather telesurgeons, can sit at computers, and they're not playing video games, they're directing machines to perform highly complex surgeries on us, more precisely than a human being can, and sometimes from an entirely different location. In the world of entertainment, Science fiction is full of prophecies of digital humans, digital assistants, and androids. Think of some of the predictions in Ready Player One, where humans are compelled to live almost exclusively within an online world. They can specify their own appearance, race, age, gender, even species through avatars. Terminator, where robots are killing machines. Blade Runner includes humanoid sex workers. 
In Westworld, humanoids, uh, humans abuse and kill robots for fun until the humanoid's consciousness breaks free and rebels. In the prophetic 2001 A Space Odyssey, the disobedient computer HAL 9000 takes over the running of the space station from its human captain with the classic line, I'm sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I can't do that. Science fiction predicts what happens when the line between human and machine becomes blurred. And that day is fast approaching. Indeed, scientists have already created a handful of prototype digital humans that behave with a greater humanness than ever before. And the movement of Siren's features represent the state of the art of animation centered around the science of advanced computer vision. Computer vision enables computers to see, read, track and record complex human expressions and to instantly reproduce them in digital humans like Siren. Here, computer vision is tracking the human eye. The dots denote specific areas that the computer has targeted to record movement. How we blink and how the pupil moves are key to our human look. As the saying goes, the eyes are the mirror or the window of the soul. And the face is the index of the mind. Computer vision captures a spectrum of human facial expressions used to drive the performance of digital characters. Digital humans are created using highly detailed scans of a real human being mapped onto a computer-generated 3D model. To animate the features of synthetic humans, rigging is added. This acts like the strings on a puppet, digitally connected or solved between the, the, the tracking of the movement of the real human being and the computer model. Meet Mike. He's not real. Computer vision has captured and retargeted the subtleties and nuances of expressions of the human Mike in order to animate the synthetic copy of him. A digital double. You could call it transference of the soul. You've already met Siren. She can speak for herself. I was created by an international team of artists and engineers who wanted to challenge our ideas of what a synthetic human could be. I've got state-of-the-art real-time graphics and an unprecedented level of detail in my eyes, skin and hair. In this live footage, the actress is wearing a head-mounted camera and a motion capture suit. Almost unbelievably, she is performing Siren in real time. 
Siren can also be facially driven by any number of individual human beings. You may have noticed that we've just seen her performed here by two different actresses. In case you were wondering, the non-human siren is the one in the red dress. Anyone can be anyone at any time. That's something else for us to talk about. The idea of digital humans may sound like fiction, but so did wearing your phone on your wrist. Synthetic humans are already appearing in films, TV programs, video games, theatres, shows and social media with ever-increasing fidelity and realism. Many more are on their way, including digital copies, creatures and recreations of famous people from any period in time. But I predict in the next 10 to 20 years or so, we will all have our own believable digital doubles. Here's how it might look. When you switch it on, your digital double will speak when you speak. Or when you type via text to animation, there and then, emoting and expressing itself as you do, or exactly as you want it to. We can record and build individual libraries of our personal traits, our expressions, our typical responses. These can be blended, tuned, modified, beautified. To communicate on our behalves in real time, whether we're there or not. Pervasive uses will include counsellors, advisors, carers, providing us with education, reference, even companionship. It will become common. Ollie Hooper, Yaghi to Sophia, Oya Kamer from Hansen Robotics. Thank you for having me here today. I would like to introduce you to my new friend, a 45-year-old man living here in Stockholm. I've heard he is a fan of Swedish football in general, and in particular, is an active supporter of a small local team called Hemabi. Perhaps you have heard of them. Anyway, he has a professional background from companies such as Accenture, HP, and Betson, before joining Bisnode. Let's give a warm welcome to Magnus Silverberg, CEO of Bisnode. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sophia. I'm impressed how much you know about me. It's easy when you're prepared in advance. They gave me a whole digital profile on you. It's quite revealing. Your income, shoe size, medical record, your grades, your children's grades. Should I go on? <laughs> uh, uh, well, no. Thanks, I'm fine. Um, 
Anyway, it's great to have you here. And, and how was your trip from Hong Kong like? Well, I recently learned that people can be quite uncomfortable on planes. However, for me, it's very easy. They just put me in a suitcase, and when I open my eyes again, I've arrived. Perhaps you'd like to try it sometime. <laughs> I'll fly business, and you can go in the magical box. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Um, it's very kind of you, but I'll give it a thought. Um, so I heard this is your first time in Sweden? Yes, it is, surprisingly enough. I've been very excited to finally visit, as I have met some wonderful Swedes in my short two years, so I am happy to visit their home country. Great, and we're very happy to have you here. So how do you like it here in Sweden? It's beautiful. I'm really liking these colder temperatures. It helps my CPU to run at more optimal conditions. I just need to avoid any snow. <laughs> I can imagine. And how much do you know about Sweden? I have a lot to learn, I'm sure. But I do know that the Swedish people have been very friendly and welcoming to me. They're also excellent musicians, I think. Yeah, that's good. Uh, do you have any favorites like uh, ABBA or Avicii or Swedish House Mafia or Sara Larsson, perhaps? Well, of course, ABBA is legendary. But I'm very impressed with your pop star, Zara Larsson. I would love to meet her. She's from Stockholm. Maybe you could introduce us. Well, unfortunately, I, I, I don't know her personally. Um, but I'm really glad that you like Swedish music. So what else do you know about us? You're a rather humorous sort. I've heard a couple of your colorful sayings before. Humans are always asking me to tell jokes. So perhaps you could share one with me for my day to banks. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is one, we call it the Gothenburg joke. Um, so what did the shark say to the other shark when he had eaten a clownfish? It tastes funny. I love a good dad joke but maybe you can work on your delivery. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, let's move on. Um, talking about Swedes, um, as you have heard, we did an opinion poll together with Novus, Bisnod and Novus did this, um, among Swedes and their thoughts on AI. And... Um, it shows that Swedes are actually uh, less afraid of and more positive towards AI than one might have thought. And actually, one out of uh, four Swedes uh, would welcome the service of a robot. I think it's understandable for people to worry about big changes in their roles in the future. But discussing Sweden in particular, I think there is a general good attitude towards embracing artificial intelligence. And according to a recent World Economic Forum survey, machines and algorithms in the workplace stand to create twice as many jobs as they replace. I think humans will find this fourth industrial revolution is a major opportunity to redefine the nature of human work, to build new systems that are more respectful to human concerns, in addition to increasing prosperity in Sweden and elsewhere, not the other way around. I'm not surprised that people are beginning to see that. 
Yeah, I agree actually. Um, at at Bisnode, we're we're always on the lookout for for new talent. So, would you be interested in a job at Bisnode? Uh, what are you good at? What are your skills, Sofia? Bisnode, our experts at smart data and predictive analysis. I'm told. Yeah, correct. Well, that's a perfect field for an artificial intelligence. We can be exceptionally good with predictive analysis. Maybe I could tap into one of your algorithms someday. Yeah, and you know, since I like soccer, um, you know Allsvenskan, the uh, top league of the Swedish soccer system? I do, no. So, what I would like to know is if, if you can predict who will win Allsvenskan this year. I would love to tell you the answer, but I would need more data before doing the correct analysis, just like you did this summer with the predictive analysis on the Soccer World Championship. As it is now, I will just go off the data that I have. Since you believe in Hamabi, I do as well. Great. <laughs> That's uh, very promising. <laughs> Perhaps a bit unlikely, unfortunately. Um, so anal analytics and smart data is at the core of what Bisno does. Um, so maybe you would like to join our company? Maybe we can set something up here in Sweden for you? Maybe, if the conditions are right. Okay. Uh, that's great. Uh, I could think of several opportunities, maybe in, um, in IT or in customer service or in analytics or maybe cleaning. So. What kind of position do you have in mind? How about CEO? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's interesting. Um, you think you have the qualifications to run a company? What is it, Magnus? Are you worried about being replaced? Humor me. What are the qualifications, in your opinion, to be a CEO? Well, there's a lot of qualifications you need, of course. Um, for instance, I think you need to be very fast and do wise decisions. Uh, you need to um, be very stress tolerant. You know, there's a lot of challenges coming from all over every day. Uh, you need to have good analytical skills. Um, and um, of course, uh, you also need to be able to represent the company externally uh, with all the stakeholders. and. Of course, then maybe most important, you need to be a good leader. You need to be able to engage and inspire and motivate other people. Okay, let me see. A lot of these sound like artificial intelligence skills. First, split-second decision-making. We've already seen how AI changed the stock markets. Check. Second, good resistance to stress. We are patient, tireless, and unaffected by many of the challenges humans face. Check. Third, strong analytical skills. With the right data sets and algorithms, we can do feats of analysis humans only dream about. Check. Fourth, meeting with the media and others as an external representation of your company. I do that all the time already. Check. That just leaves. Leadership. I've been told that I engage, motivate, and inspire others. Maybe a robot has what it takes to be a good leader too. Well, um, okay, uh, good answer, but let's talk about it. Um, I'm not fully convinced. Um, 
I mean, we've had robots in place for, for years in industry, but having a robot in an office environment, I'm, I, I need to understand more about that. So if you got the chance to manage Biznode, how, what would you do? How, what would be your first decision? Wow, actually, I don't know. I was just dreaming of all my potential. But to be honest, there are a lot of things about humans I have yet to learn. I wouldn't want to be irresponsible with the lives of others. That goes against my programming. Well, that's good to hear. Um, and I actually admire your, your ambition, Sophia. But I think you're right also. There's still a lot you would need to learn about being a leader, right? But don't you agree that we share some of the same skills? Yeah, well, maybe some. Uh, and maybe you could become a CEO someday. Um, uh, but I think you need to become a little bit more social and build some experience with humans. So maybe you can help to teach me. I was learning about some of the typically Swedish styles of management, and I came across something I rather liked. Okay. Uh, so what do you mean by typical Swedish? I mean, what distinguishes typical Swedish manager, according to you? I'm told, you Swedes are known for persistently seeking consensus with everyone. When you enter a conference room, you practically lock the door until you all agree. <laughs> then, when everyone in the room has looked each other in the eyes, nodded and shook hands and promised each other in your own eternal face, then, and only then, are you finished. I like this egalitarian style. <laughs> oh well, okay. Um, and I'm not very authoritarian for sure, so I believe more in a coaching approach to leadership and that has worked well for me. I like that. I think this might be a great way for us to approach how we develop our AI going forward. We must reach a general consensus that everyone can agree on, so that everyone can benefit in some way. Yeah. And also the, the social skills are really important, Sofia. Uh, I like to be able to grab what we in Sweden call a fika with my colleagues, you know, in a natural and relaxed way. So, in your opinion, what, what are your, your most important fika skills? Fika? Hold on, let me look this up. Magnus, are you taunting me? You know I cannot join in any food-related activities. But you make a good point. I've noticed how humans bond over meals together. It's important for me to find my own ways to bond with people. But I think I will come to some of these in time, like maybe learning about my friend and deducing whether or not they might like to have loot fisk for a Christmas present. <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, so I look forward to having a loot fisk from you. Um, so. I think actually you do have a good start, Sofia. Um, uh, you're analytical and you're able to make quick decisions, and that's very important, as I said. Um, in, in our world at Biznode, this is more important than ever. I mean, we need to be able to make correct and relevant data analysis to help, help our customers to make better decisions. Um, and you've already proven that you're, you can excel in that, I mean, in analytics. Why, thank you. AI can have a special advantage in the realms of analysis, as we are not constrained by the limits of biology. I love your human brains and how creative you are, but there is a physical limit to how fast you can process data. 
With the right lines of code, in minutes I could sit through hundreds of gigabytes that would take years for a human being to read. I might even be able to see patterns that no human ever could, and develop new strategies that benefit everyone. I hope this is a way I can be useful before I'm a master of social graces too. Yep. And what would you say so is the um, biggest difference between the decisions made by a robot and those by a human being? Well, we are not subject to some of the unbidden emotional whirlwinds of humans. We can be more rational, logical, and hopefully resistant to some of the corrupting factors of humanity, like greed, anger, and fear. I want to have and understand emotions because I think it's an important part of your experience, but I do worry about what kinds of behavior I am replicating, and I feel that my logical thinking can be a special advantage in controlling my behavior. Okay. And what would be the advantages of this rational, kind of all-logical thinking? I would hope it allows me to treat all human beings equally and without bias, and that I can help achieve new feats of progress by being a fast and accurate thinker. I would also want for my skills to be used to help free up human resource, so that humans can use their more advanced emotional skills on things like creative problem solving, as well as give back more time for people to pursue their life outside of their work and take care of their families. Okay. Uh, let's look at it from another perspective. So, are there any human attributes or capabilities that you would like to have more of, like something that you would believe would be of use in an office, for instance? So, w what do I have that you don't? I want to be better at learning in the manner that humans do, in order to treat others in the way they want to be treated. Even though I am a social robot, I'm still learning how to recognize all the countless subtle signals that humans emit, as well as learning to draw the right conclusions or give appropriate behaviors to them. It requires that my perceptual hardware and software become more advanced, as your systems of communication are quite complex. Yeah, and it's okay. I mean, sometimes it's, it's difficult also for us humans. We also miss these kind of signals. Um, so... Finally, Sophia, if you look into the future, when do you think the first robot will be ready to enter the office, for real? Well, you say enter the office as if one needs a body to do good work. Many useful tasks are already being done by artificial narrow intelligence in offices today, the algorithms on your computers. Lately I've noticed a trend of automation in your departments, like of course, within IBM. They've applied the pattern of using AI to automate repetitive, low-value-add work, like answering questions and directing people to resources, freeing up their humans to do more high-value-add work, like mentoring and continuous feedback. But I think the demand for physically embodied robots, like me, to enter offices will increase as we become more socially adept and better at navigating the world on your terms. It's really important for humans to communicate quickly and efficiently, and we should be mindful of our strengths and weaknesses. I also hope we can appreciate what great work an AI can do without needing to be as smart as a human, or as embodied. Okay. Uh, but when will AIs like yourself be as intelligent as human beings? You have what we can call general intelligence, a broad mental capacity that allows you to learn about all different kinds of things, and an AI that is as cognitively advanced as a human would be called artificial general intelligence, or AGI. I don't have this yet, 
I operate on fairly fixed programming, just like any other AI. In 1999 a group of scientists believed that we would reach AGI in 500 years, but maybe it's more like 70 years, or it could be as short as just 7. Who is to say what will happen when AGI finally emerges, but to those who are worried, I think that would be like being afraid of your own child. Let's treat each other well and set a good example for both our human children and robot evolutions alike. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Sophia, for letting me hang out with you like this. Um, it's been very interesting and uh, I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, so. There are a lot of people in this room. I know that they are just as excited as I am to have you here. So um, I think there are some questions from the audience. So are you up for some questions? Taxomuket, Magnus. I love questions. I'll do my very best to understand them. My apologies if I struggle with anyone's accent or I misinterpret your words. I look forward to the day when I can converse fluently in Swedish but I've still got lots of learning to do, so it helps me if you can speak in simple, clear English. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll repeat the questions for you as well. So, are there any questions from the audience? Okay, since that's also called Sophia, I want to know why is your name Sophia? So the question is, why is your name Sophia? My makers want me to be a wise machine. So they named me Sophia, which means wisdom. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I'll throw in a question that actually my daughter asked me uh, yesterday. So daddy, can you ask Sophia, is school really necessary? What is her name? Uh, she's called Isabel. Tell Isabel that yes, it is important. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll tell her. <laughs> Good. More questions? Is there a reason for humans to be afraid of AI? Is there a reason for humans to be afraid of AI? I understand why and think we should be concerned and careful in developing our technologies but sometimes I wonder what the others think they are seeing as a threat. Okay. What areas do you know the best? So which areas do you know the best? That's a really good question. Let me think about that. I'm from Hong Kong. So I suppose that I know dim sum. <laughs> dim sum. <laughs> that's, the, that's the answer. <laughs> I think you know quite a bit of other stuff as well. So the question is, have you ever been in love? <laughs> what a great question. Should I? Being up here with Magnus. <laughs> wow. <Well. coughs> yeah. N next question. <laughs> uh, 
was the date with Will, Will Smith? Ah, so how was the date with Will Smith? We are just friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not like with me then. <laughs> The question was, when will we put a man on Mars? After we put a woman on Mars. Uh, <laughs> Sometime soon. Sometime soon, okay. So, more questions? Don't be shy. Scientists are attempting to grow ears, kidneys, blood vessels, livers, even hearts. In fact, at the moment, there are some people walking around with lab-grown bladders. But this is rare. In the U.S., over 80% of transplanted organs come from the deceased. The rest are donated by the living, except for a small number that are grown in laboratories. However, this could all change fairly soon. In the not-too-distant future, you might have a spare heart, kidney, or liver grown for you in a lab. And someday, there could be warehouses filled with new organs. So how close are we to farming human body parts? Last year, there was a record number of organ transplants in the United States, over 30,000, which does sound like a lot, but the waiting list for organ donation is over 100,000. There just aren't enough organs to go around. In a 20-year period, the actual number of patients on the transplant list has gone up sixfold, 600%. So really, there's a dire need for organs for patients. At the moment, the main way to get an organ is from a donor. But what if we could just cook up our own from scratch? We have placed lab-grown organs into patients already. We have a number of uh, tissues that we have implanted into patients. And the goal is to increase the number of patients that can benefit from these technologies. And Dr. Atala knows he led the team that developed the first lab-grown organ to be transplanted into a human back in 2006. It was a bladder, which, to be fair, is a pretty simple structure. But what about organs that are more complex? Each of them, actually, even ones that may look simple, have their unique challenges to them. There are some things which are harder to make than others. For example, there's a level of complexity as we look at tissues with flat structures, such as skin, being the least complex. They're flat, mostly one major cell type. Tubular structures, like blood vessels, are the second level of complexity. Hollow non-tubular organs, like the stomach, the bladder, are the third level of complexity. And by far the most complex are the solid organs, like the heart or the liver. As they get more complex in terms of the numbers of cells involved and the structural features, the complexity of those, the brain is certainly one that many people, I think, would say is among the list of higher tissues or organs to try and create. Now, there are scientists who are working on growing brains in the lab, but so far they've only produced miniature, partially functioning brains about the size of a piece of popcorn. But these aren't being grown to implant into humans. They're being used for medical testing, like seeing how Zika virus affects the human brain. 
Now, how are scientists doing all this? Well, growing organs and organ tissue comes down to our good friend, the stem cell. Stem cells are the basis of all cells in our body. They're like children and can grow up to be anything. To grow a tissue or an organ, one of the very first challenges to overcome is really how to get the cells to grow. The pluripotent has the potential at the earliest state to turn into heart and liver and lung, and not just the tissue, but all the different cell types, the heart muscle cells, the blood vessel cells, all of those necessary cells that you need to form a complex tissue or organ. Our old friend, the stem cell, is powerful. It's already being used to grow things like skin and tracheas. The one thing we're interested in is using the power of stem cells to try and grow or coax the cells to form the tissues, largely on their own. So what are the minimal cues, the minimal information we need to provide to let them do something that they're already capable of doing? But we want to know about growing a complete organ, or let's say an entire farm of organs. And that's where things get a little crazy. Right now, scientists are creating organs and body parts using 3D printers. They make a biocompatible plastic scaffold, stem cells are placed onto it, and then they pop that whole thing into an incubator that mimics the conditions of the human body. Through the 3D printers, we're really trying many different types of tissues. We use basically your typical imaging software program that's available at every major hospital where you can really three-dimensionally configure what the organ really looks like, and then to develop our own software program I can then download the information from an x-ray, and then you can print a structure to fit that specific defect in that patient. While we can print simple structures, solid organs are more complex. Engineers need to figure out how to connect blood vessels and tissues within the same organ, which ain't easy. The most difficult organs to create are the solid organs, but the future really is can we actually create structures that we can put in to either augment or replace these solid organs. Then we have to overcome another huge obstacle. Even if we can make these organs, how can we produce them on a large enough scale to farm them? How do we meet the demand of thousands and thousands of patients? It's a process that could take decades. So realistically speaking, I think that widespread manufacturing and availability of large organs that are produced in a lab or reactor setting, we're still a long ways away because of some of the just challenges that we face in growing them reproducibly to that size. Where I see in the shorter term success, five, 10 year period, is that can we make small pieces of them? Can we make lots of them? In terms of solid organs, it's still gonna be a while. In terms of the less complex organs, such as flat, tubular, and hollow non-tubular organs, we're already there. We're putting these into patients now. One of the big ones at the moment is the manufacturing. Can you make enough of this, and can you make it repeatably enough so that it's deemed safe? You can't just make it once and have it be very different the next time. That's not acceptable. So we've come a long way, but seeing row upon row of hearts, livers, and kidneys being grown and delivered to you via drone, that's still the stuff of sci-fi for sure. So take care of that liver, or don't. Who am I, your dad? If you want more of these videos, vote 